If you're trying to conceive and feeling overwhelmed with fertility advice, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to Don't Tell Me to Relax, your fertility podcast and antidote to unhelpful fertility information. I'm Hannah, a fertility acupuncturist, teacher and campaigner for better fertility education. This podcast aims to empower and inform you about your menstrual cycle and fertility. It's basically all that information you didn't get in sex ed at school with the aim of improving your understanding of your reproductive health and optimizing your fertility. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Don't Tell Me To Relax. I'm joined today by Claire Mooney who is from Fertility Solutions and I'm going to ask Claire to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her background and the work she does at Fertility Solutions. Okay. So, um, I mean, basically, I am an embryologist of old. Uh, I did a, I mean, I don't know, like, I know, like any child, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. I wanted to show jump horses. I didn't want to do anything else. I did a degree and then... As part of my degree, you have to do a project, and I didn't want to do it on dung beetles, dung, the habits of dung beetles. I thought, no, I don't fancy that. So instead, I did it in the local assisted conceptive unit, um, the Liverpool Women's Hospital, and they very kindly let me do a project on sperm. And my love of male fertility was born pretty much in 1994, 93. Mm. Um, and I did a project on motility of sperm, absolutely loved it. Then I did a master's in reproductive biology. Then I went to Hammersmith Hospital. Then I became an embryologist. And I had 15 years of being an embryologist and then a senior embryologist and a lab manager, then a consultant embryologist. So you go in and help people to sort things out when there's problems with the clinic. And... I really loved it. I loved my job very much, um, but I was very disappointed by it because I think I was disappointed how many people don't get pregnant, Hannah. Mm. And it, it might shock your listeners to know that uh, I started doing IVF in 1998 and it's obviously 2023 now and the pregnancy rates haven't really increased hugely since then. Mm. So about one in every three people walk away with a baby from IVF per cycle, about 30%, so just under mm. one in three. And so I was always telling more people that they weren't pregnant and more people that they weren't going to have a baby than I was telling were going to have a baby. So that was always difficult for me. Um, my first love was always sperm, and yet men's fertility didn't seem to be registering on anyone's radar. I was confused by that. Uh, then I had a few personal pro personal experiences with personal rel relatives having sperm tests. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to start my own little sperm clinic because, and I was still working as a consultant embryologist at that point, running IVF labs and things. And I started Fertility Solutions in 2013. So that's 10 years ago now. Actually, we let our birthday slide. I must actually go back and do that. But um. Uh, it started very small actually it just started as a small thing semen analysis in the evenings at, at the spire hospital but then i met jonathan ramsey now jonathan mm. ramsey is the foremost urologist worldwide now he's 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 recognized as, as probably the most important male fertility consultant in the world wow by, by everybody yeah so he kind of contacted me and said do you want to come and can you come and do some semen analysis for me and i thought oh, you know, all right then and then a partnership was born and I became more inspired than I'd been in 20 in, in 15 years at that point. 
this is my 26th year now being an embryologist. So I became inspired and excited. And because I could see what Mr. Ramsey was doing, he was helping people have babies. I mean, Mm. people that we couldn't help. There was a patient in particular, actually, that we dealt with that had had treatment with us at the clinic that I was working at. And they'd been told they needed donor sperm. Uh, Mr. Ramsey treated them. Uh, They had an infection, I think. And then a couple of weeks later, they conceived naturally. This, but this is not an unusual story, Hannah. Mm. And I'll, I'll probably at some point, if you, if you would indulge me, allow you to tell tell you a couple of the um, the uh, stories of the week. So we have stories of the week. People just email me to tell me how they're getting on, and uh, we have them every single week. So I've had two people this week that would be quite interesting to tell your viewers about. So I set up Fertility Solutions to look at the male side because I was fed up with IVF treatment being unsuccessful. IVF isn't the answer for all couples, as we know. It's a technology that doesn't work for most people because if you don't investigate the man really thoroughly, and unfortunately, it takes an egg and a sperm to make a baby. And women do get a lot of investigation in fertility clinics, but men usually just produce a sample by masturbation and uh, have a semen analysis where they look at the number of sperm and then that's it a Mm. man is his sperm there's no what is this man doing what what's he eating what's he drinking what's he smoking what's what what, what's happening here you know what's his history what's his does he have diabetes does he have uh illnesses is he suffering from a, a major illness and so and if we look at it so basically, we can't be surprised that these things don't work so well. Mm. So I set it up for that reason. No, I set it up just to do a bit of semen analysis, but it grew and grew and grew because I think the patients made it grow as well. Uh, I mean, up until now, I've seen a huge shift in the last few years from um, people just going into IVF clinics and accepting their fate to now saying, hang on a minute, let's just do some more investigation. And I'm not against IVF, Hannah, at all. I, I, I have to say that all my colleagues in the IVF world are very sympathetic, um, caring, hardworking individuals. But the problem is, is that it's very historic, I suppose, and not, uh, not to investigate the sperm in great detail, in my opinion. I mean, not for all clinics, obviously. There aren't, all clinics are not equal in that respect. But um, overall, the man usually isn't isn't really investigated past a semen analysis usually until there's no pregnancy in an ideal world what would Mm. you advise for men and women to do in terms of well not women but in men in terms of investigations because there is just generally this idea that you do one sperm analysis maybe two but that's that's it what what would you say to people in terms of the level of investigations that need to happen so in an ideal world, our National Health Service would do all of this. Yeah. We're talking about an ideal world. Yes, we in are. In ideal world, I would like the National Health to, when a couple was trying to have a baby and struggling, to investigate the woman very thoroughly, but then to say, let's investigate the gentleman as well. Let's um, do a semen analysis. That's a good place to start because if you have no sperm in the ejaculate, that is something that you need to be referred to be to be helped with. But I would like to see every man that is trying to have a baby have at least three basic tests done. I'd like him to have the semen analysis as a starting point. And then after that, I'd like him to have a semen culture to make sure there's no bacterial infection in the sperm, because that is responsible for infertility, failure of IVF uh, procedures, and sometimes 
miscarriage. And I'd like him to also have a DNA fragmentation test of his sperm as well. So mm. we want to look at the sperm. So semen analysis looks at the sperm. It's microscopic. If you're looking down a microscope to see all the sperm swimming away, what kind of shape they are, that's a good starting point. But then the DNA fragmentation test looks inside the sperm, at the sperm at the genetic level. And that is obviously what the sperm is designed to do. It's designed to be DNA with a tail. It's supposed to penetrate the partner's egg, contribute the half of the chromosomes to the embryo. And so it makes sense to look at the actual genetics of the sperm themselves to see if they're also healthy. And the way that they do that, we do that, is by looking at the amount of fragmentation in the DNA. You can break the DNA down. DNA looks like um, it's made up of four proteins, like little discs held mm. together in a rope. It looks like a rope, basically. And what we're looking at is all the fraying of the rope. That's what, how I analogize it to my patients, the fraying of the rope. And the more frayed the DNA is, the more damaged it is, the, the more chance there is that the man is suffering from male infertility. And the problem is, you see, is that semen analysis alone doesn't do that one thing that all men think that it does. And I would if I wasn't in this industry. They're having a fertility test. So one assumes if you're having a fertility test that you're checking to see if you are fertile. Can you have a baby? But the problem is, is that this test doesn't tell you that. It doesn't. It will tell you that you can't have a baby if you have no sperm in the ejaculate. Mm. It doesn't tell you if you can. And DNA fragmentation overall is better at telling you whether you can. So are you potentially more fertile? It's, it's a better mm. test because it looks at the actual genetics of the sperm itself. And then making sure there's no pathogens in the sperm is really important because Enterococcus faecalis, one of the biggest bugs that we, we see all the time, has a huge effect on the motility of the sperm. But also if you're having IVF treatment and if you're waiting for your one and only IVF treatment on the NHS, then if you have, if you have pathogens in the sperm, bacteria in the sperm, it will affect the chances of that treatment cycle being successful and what happens in IVF of course is that there's we're, we're using teeny tiny uh, media we're using teeny tiny volumes of media not like the human body which is full of mills of media of, of fluid so these bacteria grow and they become very problematic so ideal world the NHS should say okay that's fine you're, you're struggling to conceive let's give you these three tests right now and then after you've had the three tests get a urologist not a GP not a gynecologist, a urologist, a male fertility doctor to examine the results and examine you. Mm. So have your tests done, go and see the urologist, have an examination of the testicles, the lifestyle, your full clinical history. Mm. Look at these tests and get advice and treatment from the urologist to begin with. That's the ideal world. Mm. So why, why does that not happen? Okay. Well, I... I think that I am actually, Hannah, quite proud of our National Health Service. I'm not a, a, a National Health basher. If you break your arm or you have cancer, our National Health is something to be very, very proud of. But the problem we have is that with fertility, the funding is not is limited. Mm. It's limited in a way that it depends where you live as to whether you get help. It depends how many children you have. It depends how old you are. And so the NHS doesn't have clear pathways to send gentlemen down. It doesn't have clear sort of pathways to do that because of resources. It, mm. it, is, it really does come down to 
how many urologists you'd need to actually supply that service and how much money you would need to supply that service as well. Mm. Because a DNA fragmentation test is a much more expensive test than a semen analysis, mm. as is a semen culture. So it, it, I think it's restrictive from a monetary point of view. Yeah, I, I understand the NHS um, restrictions, but often we still see many, many people through our clinic who are paying privately for IVF mm. and they are still very few investigations done into the male side unless there is something found. Yeah. But, you know, as a sort of general rule, it's kind of like female investigations, a sperm test, that looks okay. Mm. We'll crack on to IVF. So there, there, you know, there is, it's still not a general practice from what I see in a lot of clinics to no. do thorough male investigation. It's just still the sperm test. And I've, I've had quite a lot of people who, when, you know, when we talk in clinic about looking at the DNA, they go back to their clinic and their clinic say, it doesn't matter. We don't need to do the DNA test because we're going to do it. We're going to do ICSI anyway. So, um, you okay. know, we don't need to worry about that test. It's a lot of money don't waste your money on it that's kind of like a you know a lot of people that we've worked with who are told that so why does that happen it's historic Hannah so if you go back to Bob Edwards and Patrick Steptoe in the 1970s when they when they first started doing IVF treatment I think it was 78 they didn't invite urology to the party at that point you see it was mm. it was it, it, it it's it's one of those things that is a service that's run by predominantly gynecologists and it's all about just not, I suppose, having an integrated approach. We have an integrated approach. Mm. When people come and ask us why our pregnancy rates are so high, it is because we have an integrated approach. So we work with a gynecologist. Um, I probably shouldn't mention her on your podcast, but she's amazing. Um, mm. And uh, she obviously looks into the male side first and then the women's side, and then they have fertility treatment and they get pregnant. Our pregnancy rates are in the 70s. Mm. that's standard for our patients but I think that it is a historic thing and but I think things are changing because people are now reading listening to things to podcasts like this uh, approaching me having conversations with me and Mr Ramsey and the patients are changing things and that's quite exciting for me I mean I you know, I'm 50 years old I mean I've been doing this now for the best part of my life and I have to say that I am now seeing a, gener a, gen a generation of patients in their 30s that are just so smart and, mm. you know, in tune with everything. And, and they are approaching me and asking and telling me what they need to have. And then I'll obviously talk to them about it and go from there. But the patients are changing things, but it, it's a historic thing, essentially. Yeah. But the top clinics are now tuning into this a bit more. Yeah. The American clinics are definitely tuning into it. And the European clinics, the Scandinavian clinics are quite, are quite um, tuned in as well. So things are changing, Hannah, but they are changing far too slowly for me. I'd yeah. like to see them. I mean, I just hear too many stories of massive failure of IVF over the course of time. And then it transpires that the man's got an infection that could have been easily treated with antibiotics. That's one of my stories of the week this week. Mm. And I, I, I mean, I would like to see the situation change, but it is one step at a time. Mm. And also you mentioned the expensive uh, test. You're not wrong. Mm. So DNA fragmentation costs around about four to 500 pounds for clinics to carry out. And it's because uh, 
historically, there have only been a few clinics that carry it out, but we are changing that. Mm. So at great expense to our clinic, we have now invested a huge amount of money that we will never see again to have a DNA fragmentation service at Fertility Solutions in Beaconsfield. And that is going to be launching in February next year. And we will be offering this test at something more in the region of semen analysis prices. Great. So, 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 so trying to bring this test to the masses. Um, I, I mean, that's my passion. I mean, mm. people overuse that word in my opinion, but it is my life's work now to improve the situation, not for men. I mean, I, I champion the man, but I'm also for the woman because if you're not looking after the man, you're, you're affecting the woman. And what's happening in this situation is that the woman is getting older. And we know that it gets much harder to have a baby in your late 30s and early 40s. So it's so important to do something from the very, very beginning. So we will make this test more accessible. And we will also, we, we're making ourselves more accessible as well. So, yeah. um, for example, we, we charge something like £40 for a consultation because there is a massive divide between NHS and private healthcare at the moment. And we are trying to bridge that divide as well because... And our ethos is pregnancy at home, trying to work out why you're not getting pregnant at home. Mm. And I think with things like diet, exercise, uh, acupuncture, reflexology, keeping your testicles lovely and cool, uh, taking regular multivitamins, not drinking, not smoking, all those things have a very, very positive effect on the man. Because, of course, the one thing about the man that is true, that isn't true of the woman is that the man's um, fertility is changeable, mm. changeable, Hannah. And, and I mean, I'm 50 years old. I've been through the menopause. I'm never going to have a baby. And that's the end of my, of my fertility life. But, and then that's true of women. We're born with all of our eggs. And so when, when our eggs deplete and become chromosomally more unstable, our chances of having a child massively reduce at that point. Mm. So, I mean, from my point of view, the man should be the first place to start. Let's make this sperm super, supersonic. Let's mm. make this wonderful sperm fantastic. And then give the chance, give the couple a chance of getting pregnant at home over and over again. Um, or if they're going to have to have IVF treatment, going in there with some really beautiful quality sperm. Mm. Now you mentioned ICSI a minute ago. I would like to just mention that. So my background is that. I've, I've done many ICSI procedures in my life where I injected sperm with eggs. Sorry, eggs with sperm. We say it the wrong way around. I, I said it the wrong way around the other day with a patient. And it's like, what do you mean? Injecting <laughs> sperm into eggs. And I have to say that the problem with ICSI and the reason that it just doesn't work for certain men is because no embryologist has x-ray vision. They can't see the genetic structure inside the sperm itself. So the, the name of this game, if, if you like, is to improve the sperm so much so that most of the DNA is healthy, most of the sperm are healthy, so that when the embryologist comes along and picks up a sperm to inject into the egg, the odds are much higher mm. that they're injecting a sperm into the, that egg that's, that's healthy. Mm. And so that's what we do. That's what Mr. Ramsey does, improves the chances of natural conception or fertility treatment working. I mean, fertility treatment is essential for us, for a lot of couples, because for, for a lot of couples, it does remain absolutely accurate that they wouldn't have a baby without IVF treatment. But what I would like to see is thorough investigation from the beginning. And then once the patients were having IVF treatment to go in there with as good a quality sperm as they possibly can. Yeah, 
Absolutely. The DNA test, you know, talking about like getting it out there more, mm. like, you know, we're obviously based in London. So we have, you know, we work with people who, who have access to like your clinic and, and getting the test. But what about for the rest of the country? Okay, so that's quite easy. Um, so there are sort of hub situations throughout the country to get DNA fragmentation testing done. Mm. I mean, for us, a lot of times people bring us the DNA fragmentation results from elsewhere because they go to their clinic, have the test done. Because a lot of fertility clinics do do it. They do offer it eventually. Um, and they can bring those results to us. And that does happen quite often as well. So the results can come to us with the culture test, the semen analysis, and we can interpret it just as we are right now over Zoom, the power mm. of the computer. Uh, you know, obviously COVID brought this in a lot more, but um, it's very helpful to be able to talk to patients like this in, mm. from the comfort of our own laboratory. Mm. So we do that very often now as well. But people do travel from all over the world to see Mr. Ramsey and mm. myself as well, which is exciting for me. We had a couple this morning from India mm. um, who, who had multiple failed cycles. And um, I can honestly say I think I've worked it out this morning already. But it, but it, it's one of those things, isn't it? I've just seen so many samples in my life. It, it must be... I'm going to say 20,000 it must be maybe more it might be more than that I don't know but when you've just done it so much and you've seen it so much you can just tell straight away what the problems are mm. I think. because you because you've just done it so much automaticity isn't it like driving yeah, yeah. it's funny I have to, I have a similar thing when um you know in acupuncture sometimes people walk in through the door and just before they've even sat down you get a sense of what they're going to say just by mm. kind of how they are you, you sort of pick that up um, can we just talk about culture tests? Because sure. I do a lot of work with vaginal microbiome. I did yeah. a, a six month um, sort of mentorship with uh, a lady in Australia about working with the vaginal microbiome and, and, and supporting that to support fertility and, and women's health. And it's a really fascinating area because in a similar yeah. way, you know, you do microbiome testing, you find all these bugs um, and then the, the, and then you kind of treat, you know, you want to sort of restore and, and get a really good microbiome. But again, what I find is it's really difficult to, let's say we find something in the female microbiome that we know is being passed between the man and the woman. That's right. It is sometimes like banging my head against a brick wall to try and get both mm. parties treated. Yeah. And it's it's so frustrating and it's so... Uh, you know, people take it to clinics or they take it to the doctor and they're like, no, we don't know. We don't know what this test is. There's not enough evidence is something that's off that often comes up. But it sounds to me like you really do see the value in doing a, a semen culture in a similar way, because any bugs there are going to impact the sperm. It's one of those things that's very cheap to do. It's a super cheap test. Mm. I mean... Yes, I think every man should have a semen culture, maybe a microbiome, but microbiome should only be done in the hands of clinicians like yourself, Hannah, that are experienced in it and know how to interpret the results. Mm. And yes, at our clinic, when they see Mr. Ramsey or myself, we always see the couples together mm. always. Yeah. Uh, occasionally I'll see the man by himself if he's very shy or wants to tell me something private. But overall, I do recommend that the couples are seen together because you're absolutely right. If if one couple has a bug and they're having intercourse to try and have a baby, that bug can be passed between couples. So, um, I mean, it's very interesting. It's Obviously, there's lots of microbiome information coming out across the world at the moment in terms of what people eat, of course, as well. 
Um, and I do think that it is going to be, I mean, at the moment we are doing it routinely, uh, female and male at the same time. Mm. Uh, we do that routinely for patients that come in to see us to interpret the results together collectively. And we are seeing incredible results once those bacteria or, my, or, or other organisms are settled and are balanced. Mm. So you treat with, so you, I guess you give, if you find something, you give antibiotics to the couple and then you, you yeah. see the improvements from there. I mean, I've got a couple this week who have had, I met them about a year and a half ago. They'd had seven IVF cycles, oh seven. Yeah. Um, they were told they needed donor sperm and donor eggs. They would never have their own baby. Um, and uh, we saw the lovely gentleman. It was very clear to me as soon as I looked down the microscope that there was that this was an infection. The sperm mm. was low and there was many white blood cells in the sample. So we sent it off for culture. It was Enterococcus faecalis, which it usually is. Uh, we gave them antibiotics, or Mr. Ramsey did, and they conceived naturally. And they conceived naturally about nine or ten weeks ago now. Mm. Uh, obviously, it's an ongoing thing at the moment. And that was my one of my patients yesterday. Mm. And that is not unusual. That is not something that I don't hear often. Mm. We had another patient who had, um, I think they had a vasectomy and then they had a reversal. And unfortunately, that does create problems of bugs in sperm as well. And again, it's failed IVF cycle elsewhere. Usually the cycles are failing because they're, the eggs are not fertilizing or the embryos are not developing and then they're not implanting. And I think that bugs in semen, you can also have a normal DNA fragmentation test and have lots of bugs in this in this semen. So mm. the two things don't have to be related, mm. which is why, Hannah, in my opinion, it's so important that you have, I always call it a, a captain at the helm of your ship, mm. somebody who's like Mr. Ramsey, Mr. Kelsey, and um, there's another gentleman called Professor Tet Yap. He's also very good as well. Mm. You know, when you have these kind of individuals steering you, and interpreting these results for you specifically, that's when it gives you a much better chance of having a child. Mm. What worries me sometimes is when patients are doing these things online. Mm. I think I would be as well. I'm a hypocrite, by the way. <laughs> I would be doing it too. But I think when you when people are, are, are ordering lots of different tests online themselves from companies that do that, mm. um, I think that can get you in a real muddle if you're not mm. careful because the data actually is so different depending on um the couple circumstances mm. the partner the female partner's age their history together their clinical history so whether they're suffering from other uh, illnesses or problems mm. so I, I really do feel that the answer to all of this is to get a urologist in every single fertility clinic in the country that specializes in fertility that the man just goes to see regardless of the cause of infertility regardless of the semen analysis results mm. we just need to get urologists in every clinic and that will be so helpful I mm. think, I think. so in your opinion I guess you know investigating thoroughly is important regardless so you know for so for, for example yeah so because mm. lots of people are told if they've done one sperm analysis and it's okay then no more needs to be done but I guess what you're saying is, is that we shouldn't always take that as we should always properly investigate and then move on rather than just do one sperm test and say, oh, that's OK. So we'll, we, we sort of give the sperm a tick and and that's it. You're sort of saying, regardless of that, it all needs to be investigated because you never know, do you? Like you can have a normal sperm test and still have high levels of DNA fragmentation. Absolutely. Um, 
I, I only can wish, Hannah, that people, that, 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 that clinicians, GPs would, would go far beyond semen analysis. And semen analysis changes. So mm. I think when people like Mick Jagger and popular people have babies in their 70s, everybody assumes that that is possible for everybody else. But what we know is that men actually do have, they do have a biological age. So we know that their sperm after the age of 50, so I think it's actually even 45 now, starts to become far less fragile. So it's so far more fragile, sorry. So I mm. think ultimately that continuing to investigate all of these things very carefully from the beginning and constantly is very important because fertility changes. So some men will have babies um, and those and those babies will then be, you know, young, young children, they'll be eight or nine and they'll assume that, that it can't possibly be them because they fathered children previously. We yeah. see lots and lots of men that have fathered children previously that then go on to have um, secondary infertility. Many, yeah. in fact. In fact, a lot yeah. more than anybody realizes. Yeah, and we see that a lot in clinic when people are struggling to have a second child and they say, well, it can't be my partner yeah, because we're right. You know, it's a very, very be. common exactly uh, and yet yeah. um secondary infertility in men is actually quite common uh, there are some very sort of uh, interesting sort of products now for men that that do cause me a lot of concern like there's this hair growth products and bodybuilding products obviously um we see a lot of bodybuilders that um are using steroids using uh, all kinds of medications to make themselves stronger and and uh, more sort of proficient in their professions and i have to say that we see a lot of people that are struggling to have baby secondary secondary mm. if, they, if they obviously do this because we have so many people that have a child and then two or three years later they want to have another child and then they can't conceive and they assume it's a female issue because mm. all of the information on the internet would lead you to believe that it is but a lot of the times it isn't because men can obviously suffer from illnesses. They can get mm. diabetes that will then affect their sperm. They can have infections, obstructions. They can have, um, as I say, there are lots of products that people are using now. There's a particular product I probably shouldn't mention on, online, but, but, you know, it is now associated. You rub it into your hair and it can, mm. it can affect your fertility. So the issue is, is that it should always be, you know, I would analogize it to this, Hannah. Imagine you go to your GP and your heart is beating a bit too fast or it's, you feel palpitations or you're getting chest pain. Your, your GP just wouldn't just do a quick blood test and then tell you you're probably fine. Mm. They wouldn't do, and obviously to, to extend the analogy, they wouldn't give you a heart transplant. So they wouldn't give you IVF treatment. So mm. all they would do is send you to see a cardiologist. The cardiologist would investigate you, work out why your heart is doing that, give you medication and make you feel better. And the same thing needs to happen for men. Mm. My, my, you know, my, my fertility is not quite right, doctor. Can you help me? Yes, sir. We'll investigate you. We'll give you all the tests. We'll do all of the assessments for you. We'll look at your testicles. We'll help you to get more fertile and improve you. Now, I'm seeing a lot of young men in their 20s, actually, interestingly, not 30s, but in their 20s, that are now coming to me to check their fertility for later life. And mm. we're seeing a lot more people that are freezing their sperm now to preserve their fertility again for later life. So that's quite interesting because mm. men now research that if they're going to take testosterone, please don't do it, by the way, viewers, absolutely don't do it. But if they're going to do something like that, they want to freeze their sperm first and preserve their fertility. Mm. I think the internet 
is a powerful tool. Obviously, it can be quite misleading at times with information, but also it's been quite, I mean, social media as well has been quite a, a powerful tool in this because it gets people talking. Mm. I mean, you're always going to have trouble with men's fertility because sadly, a lot of people associate low sperm counts with masculinity. Mm. And uh, I mean, I, that, that makes me very sad because men can feel quite demasculinated by it and then they don't talk as much. But I think that is changing. I am seeing younger people now realizing that if their sperm count is low, it's nothing to do about with, with who they are as a person, mm. as a man. It's to do with their testicle. Um, mm. I mean, I have Crohn's disease. I don't have a problem with telling everybody who wants to hear that that. And I never sit here and think, well, what did I do to, to make myself have that? Mm. Uh, how did I make my immune system turn against my intestines? But men, men have a low sperm count. And the first thing they think is, what have I done? Mm. How have I done that? I must have done something. I must be less of a... That's the mentality, Hannah, that we need to change. We need to change how we view people that have a low sperm count. We need to understand that actually it's a testicular mal malfunction in the same way as guts, hearts and livers and kidneys malfunction. Absolutely, yes. Can, can you um, tell us a little bit about um, just one more test that comes up a lot is the oxidative stress test and the well, difference between a DNA test and the sure. oxidative stress test? Well, a DNA test looks at the inside of the sperm. Uh, you're mm. talking about a reactive oxygen species. So uh, our whole body has that. Every cell metabolizes and has a byproduct of ROS, of reactive oxygen species. When they're high and they're not being eliminated by the sperm or by the surrounding cells, then they can cause damage to the DNA at that point. But I certainly would probably not do that as a first line test. That would be a test that I would definitely allow to be in the hands of a urologist mm. because ultimately I think I, I think that test should be done after DNA fragmentation testing and after right. semen analysis and semen culture because then you're looking for more specific causes of infertility and I think that that test then comes into this then you're looking more at the you know diet exercise path, uh, environmental um, agents then you're getting down to the really fine bits of, of men's fertility and that should really be handled by a consultant neurologist. Mm. And do, do you think at any point in the future there will be more urologists working in the NHS? Do you yeah. think that is, do you think I mean, it will change? I, there's two actually amazing women coming up, actually. They're fantastic. Um, Lorna Clark and I can't remember Penny's surname. I'm terrible. Obviously, numbers I'm amazing with. If, if you were a number, I'd never forget your name ever. Um, it's how my brain works. But um, yes, I think that it is a growing area of medicine. And I'm actually seeing a lot of male fertility clinics springing up. Some of them cause me more concern than others, though, because some of them are just semen analysis clinics dressed up as an, a male fertility clinic. Um, that does concern me a little bit. But some of them were also quite authentic. And I think that people are now realizing that there is, I dare I say this, actually, I mean, and I'd like to just say about our clinic, our clinic is independently financed. So yeah, we are not an organization that is linked to having lots and lots of fertility treatments and charging lots and lots of money for things. 
Um, but let's face it, sometimes market forces do drive these things and it can be a good thing in the long run. Uh, I've been alone in this market now with Andrology Solutions and maybe a few others for about 10 years. But now mm. we are seeing more and more think more and more clinics springing up across the country. And so the so I suppose it is getting more sort of vocal and uh, it's certainly it's becoming something that's becoming more interesting for people to study because up mm. until now, gynecology was something that, I mean, urologists were seen as the person you go to for erectile dysfunction, for kidney obstruction, for kidney infections, uh, testicular torsion, all those kind of things. But now it's really, we're really starting to understand that male fertility is a specialist subject. Mm. It was actually until 1992. There was loads of, of research into men's fertility up until 1992. But something happened in 1992. Along came ICSI, you see. Along came this technique mm. where you inject sperm into eggs. And with that, stopped any kind of investigation into the man. Mm. Because that was seen as the universal answer to infertility, which it isn't. Because if that was the case, the pregnancy rate should be at least 50%, because 50% of all infertility is caused by the man. At least mm. 50 I think. Yeah. So you would see at least 50% of IVF being successful, not the case. And you'd actually see more than that, of course, because you're alleviating female fertility issues as well. So you would see a standard 70% pre uh, pregnancy rate, in my opinion, if it was a successful technique for all. It is a successful mm. technique, but not for all. That That's the important yeah. thing, I feel. Yeah. It shouldn't be one size fits all. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we see lots of people who are doing their IVF treatment through NHS clinics, and mm. which is great because, you know, yeah, so agree. many people can't afford to do um, full private rounds of treatment. And often what we say or, or what I sort of suggest is, is that, that if there is a male factor issue and they want further investigations, then it is good to spend your money yeah. in going privately for that part. And then, you know, so I've, we've got lots of people who do a bit of both. So they might do some male investigations privately and then do and, and sort of sort out the sperm so it can be the, exactly as you say, so it can be the best it possibly can be. And yeah. then they go in and do their treatment through the NHS. And that has, I've seen quite a lot of success with that because rather than just kind of immediately start treatment and go for ICSI, which is what they've mm. been told, they've actually decided, actually, we would like to investigate this. You can't do it. So we're going to go and do that privately. Yeah. And I think that is quite a good way of kind of combining things. I mean, I agree with you. I think that a period of at least three to six months of preparation for these techniques is good because all sperm are 90 days old, so they take 90 days to improve. I think that if, 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 I, if I was giving a patient advice, and we always try and adhere to natural conception, I would say to the patients, live like a monk for three months, see a nutritionist, see an acupuncturist, look at your lifestyle really improve it as much as possible take supplements do it for three months and mm. then test your dna fragmentation levels test your semen analysis test your culture test your fragmentation get and know what your baseline is for when you're living extremely healthily so mm. your cells your sperm have a good as chance as any to be as, as healthy as they possibly can be now if you then come back with abnormal results at that point you know you need to see a urologist before you go mm. for your ibf cycle on the nhs Great advice. So if people, so you can see people, doesn't matter where people are in the country, know, yeah. you can help them get the tests done and, you know, steer them in the right direction. Is that right? 
all day Sunday, so to, what's to tomorrow? Sunday, all I'm going to be doing tomorrow, Hannah, is one consultation after another wow. for 40 quid to say, yeah. right, what's going on? Show me what's happened. Show me your results. Show me your sperm test results. Okay, you now need to do this, this, and this. Do this, do that, and now get to the top of the list. Because there's also, of course, ways to navigate all of this as well, which we want yeah. to help people to do. Absolutely, now, yeah. Because we're independent, you see, we don't have to rely on anything. We just want the best for our patients. We want, I mean, obviously that sounds fluffy, but it's totally how I feel. Because, I mean, Fertility Solutions is a total vocation for me, for all of my team. And yeah, tomorrow I will spend all of my day. um, I mean, I do have a life, I've got a family. (laughs) They'll have to wait until the afternoon. But we do that because I want to make it accessible for the round of price of a round of drinks. I want to make it accessible Mm -hmm. to patients. And so we do that and um, we do it from all over the world, all over the country. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a privilege to do it because it's very sensitive information that people are telling you. Mm. And I think that, you know, it's very, it's it's a privilege to have that information Mm. that they're prepared to give you because it's very, very personal. So, so people can just book those appointments online, or do they do they do that through your website, we've or do they? It. We've hidden it, Hannah. <laughs> we did have it on the website, like in the in the top bit, and I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I'm going to get divorced. I've been married for twenty years, but this might be over now because I never see him anymore. Yeah, it is, yes. I mean, yes, you can. I joke, but it's it's at the very bottom of our website. Uh, I think there's a picture of me from. 2011 before I got really tired um but yes um yes you can book it it's you I think it's Wednesday evening it's Sunday Wednesday evenings and uh Saturday mornings wow you are a hard-working person how are you though come on Saturday podcast it's been so fun but I mean I just want to scream it from the from the rooftops and I, I don't know. I mean, I think, as I say, I think things are changing. I feel the winds of change. Uh, people yeah. are changing their fertility before they're trying. Now, that's only happened in the last four years. Up yeah. until then, I, I didn't see a single patient up until 2019 that wasn't trying or hadn't been trying for a year. I didn't see them. Mm. But now it's a regular thing. Uh, next week, we're seeing, I don't know, I don't know how many people we're actually seeing, but five of them are just checking their fertility potential. Yeah. And what, a, I mean, and I th- I do think it's a good idea. I do, because yeah. we're all having children later in life. Yeah. Our bodies haven't changed and we're having children later. It's harder to have children when you're older. Um, and I do think getting it checked early is definitely what I would advise everybody to do. Yeah. The waiting for a year thing, I mean, that's based on a very old bit of data from the 1980s when the age of the first child was about 24. Now the age of the first child is 30. Mm. So that's a huge difference in terms of fertility. So mm. I would only wait six months for your viewers. I would say six months and then get some tests done. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we talk about a lot is this idea of information and education. And I think it is changing. Mm. It definitely feels like it because people do come in so much more armed with information and they know what they want and they know it's what exciting, they need to do. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not an, I mean, I'm an old uh consultant but I'm not old school I mm. think the power in the patient is it's information as you say and, and, and it's education from me as well I mean I can still learn from my patients and I do all the time mm. and then I think that's very exciting because obviously a lot of patients that you speak to you know they're, they're highly they're very educated and they're 
reading lots and lots and lots and and I, I think that's a very good thing but I think I think getting fragmentation out there to the masses will change things yeah and if I can make it cheap enough of course eventually yeah. I can sell Amazing. it to the when are you when's that when is it starting well we're doing a massive validation which is for a scientist geek like me I just love it mm. but um, I think that we will start actually going in February actually commercializing it and, and and sort of you know giving sending it out to patients thank you so much Claire for coming on today and on a Saturday afternoon when you're working all weekend <laughs> I really, really appreciate it and it's been really cool. helpful I know a lot of people will find this so information so interesting and we'll really just, good information and we're happy to take calls uh, we have uh, all of my admin team are very highly trained that can be really frustrating I think when you call a fertility clinic and they don't they just say we'll make an appointment spend 300 pounds yeah well yeah. no most people don't want to do that so um our admin team are all highly trained and we'll just go through with you sort of whether we can help because I mean I mean some people you know they get the test done and we're like we don't think this is a male side at all we think this is probably more egg and sperm meeting mm. it's so beneficial Hannah because mm. it eliminates things yeah through a sperm test for a woman you have to have a blood test a scan a laparoscopy an AMH test it's a sperm test that can really help to just say look we don't think this is male I'll put all the details on and then people can um, get in touch directly. But I really, really appreciate your time this afternoon. So thanks again. If you've enjoyed listening to this and want to find out more, then come and join my free community in Facebook. We have loads of resources. You can catch up on all our previous webinars and be the first to know about forthcoming events. To sign up, just follow the link in the show notes. And if you'd like to work one-to-one with myself or one of the team, then please see our website, hannahpern.com, where you can book in directly or organize a discovery call to find out how we can support your fertility and your reproductive health.